I ran across a quote this week I want to share with you. It's by Martha Stern, who's a biblical commentator. Most of us slogging through complicated and often difficult days find it impossible to move beyond an understanding of the world as a survival of the fittest kind of place. I would say that's a pretty accurate description of the kind of thinking and even more importantly, the kind of feeling that many of us carry with us in our day-to-day lives. I mean, when it comes to our finances, think about it. We're worried about scammers, companies making cheap products that break. We do all we can to ensure we have enough saved after our productive years are done. Many are suffering under the huge strain of student or consumer debt, and that's one of those cases where you wonder if you're going to survive. Plenty struggle with the rising cost of health insurance. Jobs lack security anymore. And when it comes to money, you know, we all believe the old adage, you better look out for number one because nobody else is going to do that for you. Our political world these days certainly reflects that kind of survival of the fittest thinking. Elections and debates about policy are seen as win-at-all-cost affairs. Every end justifies the means. Dirty tricks and false charges abound. Political talk shows feature shouting matches, name-calling, and dismissal of opponents as stupid, naive, or even evil. And I suspect no matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, as I was describing that, you were thinking to yourself, yep, that describes my political opponents. We all need to stand before the mirror of truth when it comes to this area of our lives. And sadly, even families and friendships and churches can plunge into this kind of thinking. We can begin to believe that those closest to us are our enemies to be overcome rather than fellow humans to love and to cherish. Isaiah's audience in this passage likely saw the world through the survival of the fittest lens. The people of Israel had a historical memory of enslavement. They also knew what it was like to be defeated by people like the Philistines and other residents of the land where they lived before exile. This portion of Isaiah speaks to a time following Israel's return from exile. But this time of rebuilding in the land was not all happy and uneventful. The threat of Babylon taking the freedom back loomed. Hardships, poverty, threats from local populations, hunger, unjust leaders were common. They're called out in a lot of the prophets and the histories of this time. Life was a struggle, and one had to work as hard as possible to survive. If you want to get an idea of how hard life was for the people at this time, read all the promises about the better future Isaiah is invoking in the negative. Short lifespans, infant deaths, constant mourning, labor that didn't bless self or family, the wealthy accumulating more and more, and the poor losing all they had and having less and less widespread injustice. 
The prophet is speaking words to the reality that the people are enduring of this time. So what is God's response through the words of Isaiah? I'm about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. This promised amnesia had to be welcomed. A world was promised that would be so good one could actually forget about those past struggles. This new earth, new heaven, was not a burning down of the current reality. It would look amazingly like the current world, but in the best ways possible. All the hoped-for good things and good blessings would exist. The worst of the old reality would be left far behind, fading as the years rolled on. What might Isaiah promise us? No longer will there be meth addicts who commit crimes, spend all their resources, and forget their families just to get the next fix. No longer will politics be governed by strife and hatred, but leaders will reason together, acknowledge their differences, find common ground, and agree to intelligent compromises to difficult problems. No longer will there be behavioral struggles of people and will they be stigmatized and ignored, but they'll be given the needed treatment so they can find healing and become accepted and loved members of society. No longer will hearts be filled with hatred, that kind of hatred that breeds terrorists, domestic and foreign, who resort to violence to get attention and make statements just for the sake of harming people. Children will be educated in good schools, in classrooms where teachers are respected. Young minds are nourished to act in thoughtful and compassionate ways. National borders will no longer be sources of strife. There will no longer be millions of refugees in the world because people will find their own lands are peaceful and bountiful and productive. Immigrants, when they come, will be welcomed as sources of joy and blessing. Health care, health care, available, affordable, effective. Training will be readily available for people going through transition and jobs. And people will want to work because jobs will have meaning. Hearts will repent of racism and prejudice and misogyny. Institutions that oppress will be rebuilt into institutions that support all and welcome all. For the people of Isaiah's time, for our own time, the promise of a new future can be amazing and filled with hope. But this prophecy from Isaiah is not an invitation just to sit back and wait for it all to happen. God's call to a new and better future always comes with an invitation to join the work to help the tra- to transform the world so that we're ready when God does that work of creating new heaven and new earth. For Christians, that begins with a simple invitation from Christ. Follow, follow me. Jesus invited his disciples to follow and to join in the work of healing the sick, freeing those bound by evil, feeding the hungry, 
comforting the afflicted, challenging the powerful that oppress the most vulnerable, bringing hope to the forgotten, and sharing the living waters that brought new life. That timeless invitation still stands for us today. Jesus invites us to follow him to prepare the soil out of which God is going to bring forth the new earth and the new heaven. That journey can break us free from the slogging, dog-eat-dog existence that Martha Stern says fills so many lives. Plow Quarterly had a bio about a woman who dove into this new kind of living. Her name was Annalena Tonelli. She was an Italian Roman Catholic layperson who spent her life ministering to the poorest of the world, first in Italy and then in the Horn of Africa. There she drew other women from Italy to work with her, treating and healing nomadic tribes who were diseased, had members of those tribes who were stricken by diseases like tuberculosis. She supervised drug regimes. She acted as a friend. She took care of some of the most basic human needs, those kind of really tough needs that sick people have. She worked. She knew what they thought of her. Even though they counted her as a friend, she was an infidel in their eyes. She worked among these Muslim tribes. Eventually, she gave her life in this work. She was gunned down by extremists because her life called attention to the lack of adequate medical care for Somalis struggling with TB and AIDS. Annalena is a big example, of course. And, and, you know, we might be scared by her because, after all, most of us, probably none of us, are going to pack up and head to a war-torn and drought and famine-plagued part of the world to battle one of the most resistant diseases that we've ever faced as humans. But she offers the following word. She didn't speak publicly often, but she, when she did, she had amazing things to say. Here's what she said. The poor are waiting for us. The ways of service are infinite and left to the imagination. Let us not wait to be instructed on how to serve. We invent and we live the new heavens and the new earth each day of our lives. If we don't love, God remains without an epiphany. We are the visible sign of his presence, and we make him alive in this infernal world where it seems he is not. We make him alive each time we step next to a wounded person. The poor are our neighbors. Families impacted by addiction are close by. We all have lonely friends. The student at that next desk to you in the classroom wonders if life is worth living. The person who needs you to show them the love of God is sitting as close to you as the seat in the next pew. Every single one of those people is eagerly yearning for a glimpse of the new heaven and the new earth, and each of us has a seed of that vision living in our heart. God can use that to bring life 
into the lives of those who are suffering right around us. Stewardship of our time, our talent, our treasure is vital in this, and God using us in this way. Frederick Buechner has this wonderful way of describing it. The place God calls you, God calls you to, is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. With that view, stewardship isn't an annual frenzy effort to meet the church's financial need. It is an invitation to come before God with an open heart and ask God to show you where gifts can be used in ways that are life-giving, joyful, and make an incredible difference. That can certainly be done, and an important way to do it is through your pledges to the church. You're going to hear stories each week about various ministries in the church that are life-giving and affirming. The youth are going to be sharing that with us today. You can do that as well by listening careful if you get an invitation from the nominating committee as the group begins that work. You can do that by opening your eyes and your ears and your hearts to those you encounter each day where there are needs. The Spirit will lead and guide. The work isn't guaranteed to be easy, and we don't always get to see the result, but we can know this. If we follow God's leading, then each and every gift makes a difference. Every act becomes a part of the creation of the new heaven and new earth. Every touch Every kindness helps heal the pain, helps a little towards the deliverance from the wounded memories that haunt us all. And every day we approach life like this. We leave behind that survival of the fittest mentality which binds us in chains of despair. God is working in our lives and in our world to create a new reality that brings real justice for those who are suffering. God is doing this, and God invites us to participate in this amazing miracle. God will use our gifts to bring joy into the world, and through them, joy into our hearts. Let us open ourselves to God and ask him to use us to help create the new heavens and new earth. Amen.